Ahoy, motherfuckers. Welcome to Hindsight. I'm Derek. As always, I'm joined by the best in the business, Brandon. And to crib from a song, we are not here for a good time or a long time, because today we're here to talk about Tales from the Hood Part 3. Brandon, how are you doing? I'm great. What was the what was the famous thing from the other one that we reviewed? Welcome to hell, motherfuckers. Yeah. Was it welcome to hell? Yeah. I thought he said welcome. I thought he said something else. This ain't no funeral home. And it ain't the terror dome neither. Yeah, it's welcome to the terror dome, isn't no, it? No, it's welcome to hell, motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. This didn't have that movie was bad, but at least it had that. Yes, this didn't have any of that. And and since I said we're not here for a long time, okay, Google, set a timer for forty five minutes. Sure, forty five minutes, and that's starting now. So this movie fucking sucked. Um, I have seen the best of Rusty Cundiff and tells uh, our uh, fear of a black hat. And I think I've officially seen the worst. And yes, we skip past part two of Tales from the Hood because why the fuck will we do that to ourselves? I thought we watched Tales from the Hood too. No, we watched Tales from the Hood one and skipped straight to three. Oh, we didn't do two? No, they're not connected. It's not like it's a sequel. Oh, I would have. I thought we should have did two. Maybe next horrible movie month, horrible movie month, we'll do two. We can only do one per year. Otherwise, my brain kind of fries out. What was the... This is the same guy that did Fear the Black Hat? Mm-hmm. Huh. Fear of a Black Hat sprung. Tells from the hood. Hmm. This, is a, this is a step down. You think? So, <laughs> um... <laughs> plus, I watched it on uh, Peacock, so I was forced to watch commercials. Whether I wanted to or not, I pay for non-commercials, but it still makes you watch commercials for this movie because it really wants you to just feel their pain. Um, so a man at the beginning, Candyman, is walking through a forest with a little girl. And when she asks if they're there yet, he shushes her and tells her that it'll be okay. And they walk past a headstone that just happens to have the logo to tell us from the hood on it. And here we go. It's the worst cemetery ever. It's like hella spaced out with like trees and fog and all that shit in between everything. Was he supposed to be an abductor? Yes. Okay. I didn't uh, really understand that until the end of the movie. Until the very end. Confused. Until the very end, but yet at the same time, the more she kept... Okay, so um, at this point, I just called him Candyman because they didn't say any names. So... Candyman and Candy Girl walk into a mausoleum and she asks him if he sees the bad things and he says no. And she asks what they look like and he's like, they're just evil. And she asks him to tell her a story and he says he doesn't know any good stories. So she says she'll tell him a story and he tells her, okay, but you have to whisper. And she proceeds to tell him a fucking horror story. Like she's like six years old. She says the story her mama told her. Right? What the fuck? You're like six telling horrible stories or maybe seven. Okay. I'll give her that. And it's like a fucking deeply detailed story. 
Like, even if we're watching in the movie, she has to be describing this to Candyman. So she has to describe the suits and the basketballs bouncing and the clown on the table and everything. The fact that this story is about them trying to build a medical complex, she hasn't mentioned that. Like, come on now, dog. Come on, buddy. I will go. Maybe you'll help me as we go through this, but I wasn't sure. Tales from the Hood is supposed to have some type of like moral. Yeah, it's supposed to be like some type of thing you're supposed to learn from each story. Mm -hmm. Message. I didn't know what any of them were except the last one. Or whatever they were, they were, one that was racist. No, that wasn't the last one. The one with the racist white guy. Which was also horrible. That's the only one I understood. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, don't understand how they got one, to that was point. Was this one anti-gentrification? Is that what this was? I have no clue. I thought that it was a black man doing a white man's job. An evil black man with an evil white man behind him trying to move a family that's hard up out of their home. But then he goes and gets some crazy dude named Mickey, who's an arsonist, who lives in a fucking basement to go and burn down this one apartment inside of an apartment well, complex. No, he didn't want them to burn it down. He wanted he wanted them. He wanted to start a fire just enough for them to get out of there. If there's a grease fire and I go out and it doesn't burn my house down, you know what I'm going to do after the grease fire is gone? I'm going to go back in. <laughs> also, if I'm the landlord, if I'm the landlord of the fucking house or the apartment, I would be well aware that my smoke alarms don't work. Mm, that makes sense because upkeep's on me as a landlord, but he doesn't. And so this kid with cancer and his mom and his dad, because this black dude who looks like Chance the Rapper to me, walks into the building and he's like, hey, I'm gonna give you $10,000 to move the fuck out. And uh, the black dude, the, the guy he's talking to is like, we're not moving out. And the kid behind him is his son with cancer and he's bouncing the basketball. And the guy who offers $10,000 like, can you stop bouncing that fucking ball? <laughs> And I'm like, you yell at a boy with cancer to stop bouncing the ball in somebody else's house? Nigga, you want to get beat. And she's describing all this to Candyman in detail. I just want to keep bringing that out. Um, and so he asked Mickey, like I said, to set this fire, this grease fire, which, of course, burns out of control. Why Mickey decides to set this up at night while everybody's sleep, I have no clue. But he sets it up while everybody's asleep. And of course, somehow the fire uh, builds up in the house until they see it right before it's too late. And so they open up the window and the oxygen causes a fucking fireball to come through. And that sounds like something from Backdraft. What's Backdraft? Backdraft is a, a movie about firemen that came out in like 1992. And the villain was the fire. Oh, because every so often there'd be a backdraft where the fire would get stronger and super hot and just raise anything in its path. And that's what happened in this house. Even though when they walk into the fucking apartment, like the day after, there's like two scorch marks on the wall and nothing else is 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 affected at all. And the mom's still alive. And the mom is still alive. This is important that the mom is still alive because as he walks up, as, as this dude, David, we find out his name is, walks up to the apartment, the mom is being willed out saying, my baby, my, my, my husband, my, my husband, my baby. And we see that she's still alive, but she's got like third degree burns. 
second degree burns and the dad and the son are both dead. Uh, they got the sheets pulled over them. So, you know, they're dead. And he goes home and he gets a telephone call and it's just about a basketball bouncing, which. Okay. If I answer the phone and there's a, huh? He probably thought somebody was trolling him. Who the fuck would have known that this kid bounced the basketball? Anybody in that building? The rest of the building was empty, though. Remember, he said, I have moved everybody else out except for y'all motherfuckers. All right. Listen, I'm not here to victim blame. I'm not. I'm not here to victim blame. (laughs) This family did not own this apartment. No, they did not. It was literally a cash for key situation. I give you cash. You give me the keys and get the fuck out. You don't have a choice. What? Yeah, they didn't have it. Like, I was very confused to what they were fighting against. Like, this was me not trying to, I'm not, I swear to you, I'm not trying to victim blame. But if I rent to a place and the land, the owner is like, hey, man, at the end of your lease, you got to go because I'm selling this. You got to go. You got to go. Like, I don't know what you were fighting. Otherwise, you're a squatter. Like, this is like when somebody's getting evicted and they're just like, I'm not going to go. This is the point they're at. This is why I was confused about the message. Like, and maybe they just did a bad job of explaining it, but them niggas didn't have to give you any money. They could just tell you to go. Mm -hmm. Like, like you can just go. Like, get out. Get out of here. And you're the last one living in this building. Mm -hmm. This five six-story building probably got 150 units you're the only people living in there mm-hmm. like i i was very confused about like the morality of this story like i get what they were trying to go against i think they were trying to do like some type of gentrification thing but it would work much better if- i mean i mean i mean i mean i mean i mean they're talking to, okay let's say that they're talking about gentrification that's cool but the thing that they're building in the place of this project is a fucking hospital. Like, well, they dude, tried to make if they that said a parking lot, then I would have been like, okay, you're a villain, but he's building a medical complex. No, they tried to make that ambiguous because the father says, how do I know you're building a medical complex? You could be just building new apartments that you're going to charge way more money for. Yeah, because a dude had a had the piece of had the flyer with the medical complex on it, but it doesn't matter. We could talk about this after you get the fuck out. Like, yeah, like I, if they would have made it where like these people owned a house on this block or area, and they're like, yeah, we bought up everybody else, and they were like blockbusters, mm-hmm. and we're busting this block so we can you know bring in new people or build something. And they're like, no, we're not. Then you'd we're have a clear door. idea who the good guy and who the villain were yeah, in the situation. Like, okay, I get it. But they were like, they rent here. And I was like, yeah, I feel bad that your son has cancer. But I don't know what you're supposed to do if the landlord who owns the building is like, I want to do something different. My son has cancer. I see that. He also is bouncing a basketball, which goes against the laws of my uh, apartment complex. But it so. was funny. He told the kid to stop bouncing the goddamn ball. Because <laughs> that, that shit's annoying when you're trying to talk. And it wasn't even a leather ball. It was like a rubber ball. So it kept making that boing, boing, boing <laughs> sound. That shit sound like a kickball. Um, so then after that, the uh, he calls the number back after he... Um, after the basketball's bouncing and the basketball bouncing thing at first, I thought it was kind of like the, where's my golden arm, a horror story that we all knew from when we were a kid and shit. 
And then he calls the number back and he gets a voicemail that says, well, before he calls the number back, he looks at his call list and we see that he has a call from Rusty Cundiff. Who's the guy who wrote the fucking movie? What? Rusty Cundiff's name was on there? Yeah, his name was on the call list. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and so then he calls the number back and he gets a voicemail that says, you've reached the Bradford residence. We're not available right now because you burned us alive. But then we find out the next day after this motherfucker goes to see Mickey and Mickey's celebrating the family leaving. So Mickey's getting a drink out of the refrigerator when this motherfucker David takes his gloves off to pull out a gun and murder Mickey. Why take the glove off to put fingerprints on the gun that you're going to murder Mickey with? Because, you know, you're going to keep the gun. Yeah, and he also kept Mickey's lighter because, you know, evidence. And so he um he calls to the to the um hospital to check in on Stacy. That's her name, Stacy Bradford. That's the mom's name. And um, well, after that, he gets a call from the white guy who's celebrating the escrow closing on Ruby Gates. That's the name of the uh complex. If y'all don't know, Ruby Gates was the first. Wasn't that the first little black girl who went into who desegregated the schools? And I, oh yeah, I do think that is it. Yes. Hey Google, who's Ruby Gates? According to 1859 Oregon's magazine, a Salem native, Gates began creating and selling. No, she didn't. Shut the fuck up. Bakery, sweet organics in Portland. That ain't it. No, that ain't it. Not a person. Ruby Gates, wasn't that the person who desegregated the schools? It has to be a person. Like, everything Rusty does has a reason. I don't think that's her name. I know who you're talking about. I don't think that's her name. Oh, okay. Well, you know. Anyhow, um, he calls the ICU and asks about Stacy Bradford, and they tell her that Stacy passed away. They tell him that Stacy passed away about 20 minutes earlier. Which means literally there's no That's way. Ruby could've... Bridges. Ruby Bridges. Ruby Bridges. Okay. I knew it was Ruby something. Um, but because she passed away like 20 minutes earlier, there's literally no way that she could have been the one on that voicemail saying, you burnt us up, motherfuckers. Because she was still alive. So she couldn't have supernaturally done that. That made no sense. And that night, David sees the basketball boy again, but he vanishes. And then he gets a call, and it's a basketball bouncing. So he screams out, who the fuck is this? And his phone catches fire, burning his hand up. So he goes to the fucking apartment where he just murdered a family, and he hears the the basketball, which bounces down the stairs. So he pulls out the gun that he killed Mickey with and walks in thinking that it's Stacey Bradford's brother fucking with him because this nigga big dumb. And then the ball comes bouncing up to him with bad-ass CGI, and the door creaks open and lights start flashing and the screaming of the wife, child and father could be heard. And this is still that little girl telling this story. Mm-hmm. They want us to know that a, a, a seven year old girl is telling with this detail. You can hear the screams. I'm like, shut the fuck up with this story. We're in a dark ass mausoleum looking place. Um, and David opens the closet and the clown pops out. And then a little clown is telling him to pick it up. And then the closet closes on its own. 
And instead of leaving, this motherfucker still talking shit, talking about all the bullets he has for all of them. But nigga, you use six of them on Mickey. So you ain't got he much went from acting, <clears throat> acting like he cared. He wasn't even trying to be like, yo, I wasn't trying to kill you. Like, argue, like mm-hmm. he wasn't even trying to like reason with the ghost. He immediately went to fuck y'all. Mm-hmm. Everybody went immediately to Jerome from the last one. I don't give a fuck. Like, come on, man. Um, so then the ball bounces past again and all the doors open and all the doors slam rather. And he turns around and Stacy Bradford's burnt up body jumps on him and he knocks her off of him. Like she literally jumps on his back and he knocks her off him. And this nigga still thinks it's a joke. <laughs> and then he goes downstairs and both Stacy and her husband are there all burned up and they catch flame and then they come running at him like a zombie from fucking 28 day 20 yeah 28 days later and disappear right before they get to him and then the boy appears with his family in a burning basketball in his hands and he throws the basketball at david which blasts him out of an open window and the last thing david sees before he dies is the family going back up the stairs to their apartment and Candyman asked the girl, where'd she hear that story at? And she's like, she saw it on the news. So they, they had all the information on the news? Exactly. That's a lot of fucking detail. Also, so they went back up so the, the building didn't get torn down? Right. And so he says that they're going to have to talk to her mom about that because she's too young to read that or to be hearing those kind of stories. I don't want to agree with a child abductor, but he's not wrong. I mean, I've seen criminals make other great decisions because it's just not right for people to be going through that sort of thing. So, yes, Um, she asked. I'm not a big person on like too old or too young to do certain things. But like this little girl was too young to be knowing the story about ghosts and gentrification and and fucking revenge killing and and arson and, and murder. <laughs> that seems a little inappropriate. And and the white guy didn't get anything. He just went to Thailand and got away scot free. Yeah, the main villain. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so the ghosts were anti-black because mm-hmm. they. It, they should have known that they're ghosts. They got all the information now. And they know this they should have known they were told to do this, that this dude was told to do this by somebody else. But nope. Mm-hmm. White dude just went on his cruise, touching his stuff while wearing his heart, uh, his his boxer shorts with hearts all over it. And so the next story was a stupid ass story. God, what was the next one? That was the one about the white man in the bunker. Oh, yeah. I was confused about this one. I just thought it was basic racism, but. He was also like lusting after black women because because that's the thing that we believe or that Rusty wants us to believe is that racist white men really want they're really racist because they want people of color. They want women of color to be their sex slaves. I feel like that's a stretch. Me too. But (laughs) when he turned around and he had all those blow up dolls of all different races. Oh, yeah. He had a he had an uh Arab uh blow up doll and he had a, a Asian blow up doll and he had a black blow up doll and he had like five or six of them. He had a Jewish blow up doll, which I was like, they sell them like that. 
and he's doing a podcast or something, screaming out to the people about the 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 whoever brought me food. Thank you. You want to help me get a new poster of a white woman who has the red, white and blue behind her on a white missile to blow up these niggers and these monkeys. And he's got a Confederate flag on the back of his jacket. And um, right after he finishes his show, a bomb hits his bunker. So he comes out and rails against them while a loudspeaker tells him to stop antagonizing the man. And at first I was like, what the fuck is this? But then I realized at the end of it, he goes back into his room and he sees a he sees three people in his periscope, one white woman that he's named Patricia and two others. And this is stupid. This whole thing is stupid. Um, he goes back in and that's when he starts having sex with his blow up dolls that are all people of color or women of color. And he's he has sex with them so hard against a concrete wall that he jams his dick against the wall and explodes the black blow up doll. <laughs> and jams his dick. I want y'all to know this. And then he falls to the ground dick first. So his dick should be broken. And so he gets back onto the loudspeaker and he starts asking again for blow up dolls and, and people. And then you see somebody on the outside hold up a watch and hit the mute. So then the loudspeaker gets muted. And now it's like, okay, what the fuck is this? So he comes back out again with all of his guns. I was so confused here. So I'm relying on you right here because I was so confused what was actually happening. He comes back out with all of his guns and he's like, y'all want to, you don't want to take me seriously? I told y'all because another bomb goes off and he thinks that he's being, that he's under attack. So he comes out. It was like like, a force field there. Yes. So he shoots at them and a force field is there and I'm rubber year glue. The bullet bounces off the force field and hits him dead in the head. So now he's dead. And the black dude is like, I thought that we had taken all the bullets out of the gun. What the banging, the, the bomb sounds were, I'm guessing were kids pounding on so he the was in force a snow field. Globe? Huh? He was in a snow globe. Wait, what he, was this? He was in a exhibit at the zoo. And it was the, <laughs> It was it was a zoo exhibit of a racist man. And I guess that this was supposed to be <laughs> Rusty's idea of us living in a post-racial society. <laughs> because they said that there was a racist man in there. He was the last racist man on earth. So then he died. And um the kids were on a field trip. The kid who kept banging up against a force field, and that's the bombs that he kept hearing was him banging on that shit. The podcast he thought it was doing was just him yelling in the loudspeaker so people outside could hear his racist rhetoric because, again, he's the last racist on Earth. And then the kids are like, can we go see the last misogynist on Earth? And the teacher's like, yeah, we got 20 minutes before the, 20 minutes before the zoo closes. And they go to see the last misogynist okay. on Earth. I got to say, I did not pick this up at all when I was watching this part. I don't know if I, I like drifted off or something. I fucking think that's hilarious. That would be an incredible skit. It would be an incredible skit, but it doesn't within Tales from the Hood. (laughs) Within this movie, I was like, what the fuck is this supposed to be? Like, I would have laughed that this was on like Key and Peele or something like that, but this supposed to be a horror movie. This isn't scary. This is just stupid. That was, oh my gosh, I did not pick that up. That is fantastic. And I don't know who that white man was, but I really do think he was the MVP of the movie. Yeah, he was selling it. He sold the shit out of it. 
Like he did an excellent job. I think he called one of the dolls like Laquanda or something. He gave it like a very stereotypical yes. black name. <laughs> yes. Like something. I can't even remember what the uh what the name of it was, but it was like Laquance or something like that. Okay. I thought that was I thought that was great. So <laughs> that, that was, was so great. <laughs> that was Frederick Allen who played that role. I don't know any of these actors in this movie. Me neither. But I, it's important that I let you know that. Well, well, I take that back. Oh, no. I take that back again because I thought that um, Miss um, Miss Benoit don't even show her in IMDb, so I can't even check to see. But I thought that she was uh, Lynn Whitfield. No, that wasn't Lynn Whitfield. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna just see who Miss Benoit is. It was Lynn Whitfield, Marie Benoit. Oh, okay. I'm about to say she looked like her. I was like, okay. Um. So then, the little girl finishes telling this story about a white man in an exhibition, and and the the abductor is like, "Is that real?" And he's like, "She's like, yeah. My mom told me so." And she asks him if, if her mom's okay, and he says yes. So she tells another story about a singer named Chella and a guy named Park. Chella loses her job as a backup singer, and Park wants to be her manager, so he takes her to the house of Miss Benoit. And Miss Benoit tells her, tells them both, that she likes having beautiful things around her, like Park. She also tells them that in her younger days, she would have seduced them both. And she sends Park to go get her blood and tells Shella that she's anemic. And then tells her in the next sentence, you should stop messing around and fuck Park, which they do. This is like three minutes after they've met, as far as we can tell on this on this uh, segment of the, the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so then after that, um, Park is asking Shella how the job is going. And she's like, it's horrible. All we do is watch Carmen over and over again. And it's torture to me because I don't even like opera. And she asked Miss Benoit if she's ever had any other performances. And she's like, no, this only performance I ever did. Um, I was hired as a third understudy. And the two before me got sick with the flu. Uh, So I, I went out and performed. And it was recorded. And the theater owner wanted to make her a star, but the viewers were furious because she was black. And she never got another job after that. And Shella tells Miss Benoit that she sings and she asked to hear. Um, and so she sings a little something, you know. And Miss Benoit tells her straight out that with proper training, she might develop into a real singer. And Shella becomes infuriated and beats Miss Benoit to death with a statue. Zero to 100 like that. You can't sing. What the fuck? Cloud, cloud, cloud. Oh, in her mind, yeah. In her mind. So I was like, okay, what's going on with Cella? Like that was zero. I to still that. don't we'll get to it, but I don't under I don't know who the bad person was in this one. Hmm. Me neither. I don't so, know who's supposed um, to be the bad person. Because they all like I'm they were all person. shitty. Honestly. They At were this point, shitty. I thought it was Stella. I thought, I mean, I thought she was supposed to be the good person. Like, oh, this this girl's taking, you know, she's angry at this old lady. And then for another second, I thought, oh, this old lady is mean to these young girls. And then it completely flips. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was a dream. And Chella's crying 
and Miss Benoit apologizes and tells her to bring her a jewelry box. And she gives her a music box and tells her to go and get some blood for her from out the refrigerator. And Chella does and attaches it for her. This is with the part where after this part is when I started thinking, okay, uh, Miss Benoit is the real villain of this whole thing. Um, Chella confesses to Park that she wants to kill Miss Benoit. And Park encourages it because she has a ton of money and no family. She falls asleep and dreams that she's in a recording studio and Park is producing. And she tries to sing, but nothing comes out. She has no voice. Then she sees Miss Benoit, who tells her that she will never be a singer. And she opens up her mouth and things fly out of her mouth. And this whole thing was fucking stupid. So she wakes up and decides to for real, for real, kill Miss Benoit. They take some uh, type B blood uh, from Chella. And they're going to give it to Miss Benoit, who was type O. And it's supposed to make her antibodies destroy her from the inside. And it works. Miss Benoit dies and Chella and Park are celebrating with her cash. Uh, they fall asleep and Park leans over Chella and turns on the music box and then walks out of the room. And Chella has a, note, uh, a dream about an old man standing in a pentagram drinking blood. And then the old man turns into Park. She runs away, but she's stuck in a mirror and Miss Benoit's in a tub. Park pours blood into her mouth and then they kissed. And then she woke up in Miss Benoit's room and now she walks into the bathroom and she's turning to Miss Benoit. So they body switched. Right. And Chella asks her what happened and Park tells her that he will help her and throws her over the second floor railing. And I so guess Ms. by switching, the, just wanted to get into a younger body, so a younger body. And, and Park was like, she wanted to be very selective about who she chose. I didn't give a fuck who I chose. So I chose my person a long time ago, but it turns out she wanted somebody who could sing so she can go back on stage. And as we're closing out, she's at an audition singing Carmen, the same opera song that we heard over and over again is being played horribly bad as a, um, as she tries to lip sync it, and it's yeah, but awful. what was the message of this story? Message, I'm very confused. I don't understand what the okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's think about the first uh tales from the hood. The first uh story was about police brutality and uh police killing black uh politicians. The second story was about the racist guy and the spooks with guns. The third story was what? What was the third story? Um, and Tales from the Hood? Yeah. I don't remember. I thought it had something to do. I'm about to look. I don't remember the third story. So the, the first, first one. Oh, the third story was Monster. David Allen Greer and that oh, stupid yeah. ass throat or uh, like david duke i remember the david duke one thrust so and that was the one where rusty cundeep was like i'm not going to uh go to jail so you're gonna have to burn this nigga up so you know maybe it's following a a standard like there was no real story to that one either it was just you know a monster well i guess there was but in the first one he was trying this one he's really not yeah but is is the young girl a villain too because she wanted to kill this old lady but then it, what I was thinking was she was a villain for flying off the handle and saying, I want to kill the old lady. But Park and uh, Ms. Benoit knew exactly what they were doing. And I was wondering how they set it up in her head. Like, 
telling her that was going to set her off. And also the way they shot it was just one day he was like, why don't we kill her? Mm-hmm. She's hey, like, I got an idea. We should kill her. But then again, <laughs> one day they were just in bed. Oh, yeah. This literally had an Oz timeline. Why don't we just kill her? Uh, that's not a bad idea. I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. We should do it by putting stuff in her blood. And then she'll die. I can't prove that. I just feel it in my gut. But yeah, the last story is about a dude who's literally called the punch and run bandit. This nigga walks up to people and Debo cold cocks them (laughs) and knocks them the fuck out and steals their shit. I thought this was funny. This was funny because that was this was like a video from the times because I remember when people were doing that shit. Yes, very much so. And white folks were up in arms because they're punching people and they can die. Back then, I think it was a challenge or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a challenge. I mean, that is fucked up. Just running up on a random person in the street oh, and pulling yeah, off on them. <laughs> I would be I, I was like, yeah, that's fucked up. <laughs> Why are people doing this shit? Oh, but man. that was like so current, like not current like today, but like I'm assuming current for like when this movie was made. That was like super current. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, runs up on and punches an old woman and steals her purse, which ain't got nothing in it. But the granddaughter of that of the old woman curses him and says, "I hope you get to walk a mile in the shoes of your victim." I got I got something to say about this when we get to the end. And, and she so was voodooing him. She voodooed Voodoo him. him. This is basically like thinner, but worse. So he goes out to punch and run his next victim and literally fake punches him like he, he doesn't even hit him. But the dude uh, flies back and he doesn't have any money. Just some demon kick shoes. Gold demon kick shoes. This so dude he, he killed, though. Yeah, with that no punch. Like he literally sold a, a punch that didn't even connect. And so he takes his shoes and he leaves. Uh, he puts the shoes on. And he doesn't notice a demon in the corner of the room. Uh, and then he goes to holler at a girl and asks her if, he, if she could see his flow. And she says, no, but I could see it. And she points at his pants because he's pissing on himself. Then he shits on himself. And he goes home to get in the shower and try to take some Pepto, but the bottle's empty, which literally had and nothing to do with the rest of the curse. Eat. He's like, you smell like shit. Don't come in here while I'm fucking trying to eat. Right? And he's like, can you help me? I can't take these shoes off. Can you help me take my pants off? And the dude is like, nah, fuck you. So he gets in the shower and just drops his pants down and wash the shit out of his pants and wash the shit out of his ass. That's important. Um, and gets out and dries off using a blow dryer that he stole from somebody else in one of his other punch and run gambits. Um, and then he gets out the shower and he's freezing. He walks down the street and he sees a car accident. And then he sees an angel's toes come down from heaven. And then the angel starts to shake his head, shake its head and takes the driver's soul to heaven and looks at him. And it's a, it's a, it's the, the angel is cute. She is, she a cute, she a cute girl. Um, but still, what the fuck? And then his stomach starts cramping again, and he stumbles into a building, and he sees a demon come up and take a man's soul to hell. 
and he still got to take a shit. And suddenly, for some reason, he just freezes in place. And then people come up and talk to him and he sees the granddaughter saying the same curse again. People come up to him and they're like, he stinks. His breath stinks. Um, and then he goes to he blacks out and now he's in surgery where the people are speaking backwards. And then he drops down to hell. And I was hoping this movie would go there, too. But then he wakes up and sees who he thinks is the doctor. But it's a demon face guy who looks like a, a chicken. Like the face is like a bird face. <laughs> oh, yeah, he did look like a chicken face. And then he confronts the granddaughter who put the curse on him. And she tells him, you know, I put that curse on you about my grandmother. But then you fucked around and went out there and did it again and killed somebody. So now you're feeling everything that they're feeling. And he was like, the last person you punched, you killed. So you're feeling all the parts of death. And the chill was a specter of death. And the shitting and the shitting and pissing were what happens when your muscles relax. Mm -hmm. But he shit and pissed before he got cold. He got cold after he got out the shower from washing the shit off himself. You're missing a larger point. The curse was for him to walk a day in his victim's shoes. Mm-hmm. So, all he all he should have had to do was just last out that day, mm-hmm. and then he should have been fine. But then at the end they go, "You're deemed you're you're have this for the rest of your life." And I'm like, "That's not what the curse said." You change the game every day in your but, victim's shoes. But grandma came in and was like, "Now nah, let's do this. Let's and try no, this instead." Grandma wanted to give him another chance. She did to break the to break the curse. She was like, "If you go find him." You're going to be all right, but you got to go find him and tell him you're sorry. And they were like, we, ex- we, we think you should go to the morgue. And so he goes to the morgue and he's banging on the window and the assistant to the corner. is like, I got an, I, I have an anniversary to go to. So while the, the coroner goes to talk to this, the punch and run bandit, the assistant keeps going with the autopsy. And at first she takes a, a scalpel and cuts a cuts a line in his chest, you know, to do the vivisection. And you can see the cuts forming on his chest and you can see the, the skin and the, the ribs being taken off his body. The punch and run bandit, not the victim. And then for some reason, she does a fucking lobotomy. And that's when he dropped dead. And the demons came out and grabbed him. And this little girl is still telling this story. And if you don't get the fuck out of my face (laughs) with this bullshit. (laughs) And so the little girl asks again where her mom is. And Candyman says that she'll be there. And then he sets up a camera and tells her to put on a mask. And that's when we find out for real that he kidnapped her. And she tells him that the bad things are really close and that the reason that she's so heavy is that she isn't human. She thinks she's something else. Then she says again that the bad things are coming. And he says that is why he wants her to bend down and stay low. And he pulls out a sledgehammer to kill her. But she tells him you can only kill them once. And all of his victims come out and their heads fall off and they scream. 
and he begs him to stop. And she says, no. So he runs away. And then they come with axes and they kill him. But before they kill him, she looks him in his eye and she says, William, administrator of nightmares, killers of dreams. Welcome to hell, motherfucker. <laughs> so she a, she's a demon. <laughs> she, she's she she's a demon. Sims yes. Daughter? Yes. That's what they're saying. That she's Sim's daughter and her eyes are all aflame and she looks like fucking Ghost Rider with a painted up face. And they chop his head off and she dies. And thank God this movie's over. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. 43 minutes, Brandon. 43 minutes. What's next? So next up is Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and we'll be joined by V from um from Frowntown, from the Frowntown podcast, and by the homie Q. We're gonna be joined by Quan to watch uh Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is I'm quite sure it's not gonna fuck me up the way it fucked me up when I was a kid, but it might. <laughs> it might um but you could check us out on you can leave a review on Podchaser, copy that paste it on the apple podcast copy that paste that on the good pods you can hit up brandon on twitter at that cool black nerd black is blk i'm on twitter at rashani the show is uh hindsight reviews that's r-e-v-u-e-s um you can email the show at hindsightmoviereviews at gmail.com. And again, that's R-E-V-U-E-S. Um, and you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on our Good Pods page. You can uh, just go to the tip jar and uh, help us out there. All money goes towards books and movies. Books for Ratchet Book Club, movies for hindsight. Um. I think that's about it. Brandon, you got anything else? No, that's it for me. Cool. Thank y'all so much for listening. We greatly do appreciate it. Damn, I hated that movie. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Peace. That's my timer. Time just ran out. Dead serious. We did great. for hindsight is coffee by cambo smith and it's from the free music archive this is single simulcast